Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. I got something I want to talk about to you. Welcome to Communication Mixdown. I'm Rima Rattan. Has advertising ever not been sexist? I really don't know, and I'd venture probably not. But I was taken aback when I found out in the interview you're about to hear that the portrayal of women in advertising has actually become more sexist. In late October, Women's Health Victoria launched two reports on progressing gender equity in advertising as part of an ongoing project. I spoke to Mandy McKenzie, a project officer from the Health Promotion Advocacy and Support Service, and Senior Lecturer in Marketing at RMIT, Dr. Lauren Guerreri, who researched and wrote the papers in 3CR studios last week about their findings. So you've just released a couple of papers on women in advertising, and this is part of a project with Women's Health Victoria. Mandy, do you want to tell us what you do at Women's Health Victoria, for starters? Sure. So we're a um, women's health program looking at a whole range of issues that affect women's health in Victoria, and our project is looking at advertising and gender portrayals. So um, we're looking at the ways in which gender portrayals impact on women's health. Advertising's everywhere. You know, we, we all see it. It saturates all of our online and shopping and domestic spaces. So we're really looking at the ways in which those portrayals of gender impact on women's health in particular um, and looking at the links with violence against women. So some of our funding comes from the state government uh, and we're looking at how portrayals of gender in advertising actually reinforce the kind of attitudes that promote violence against women. So it's quite a broad-ranging look at advertising and you know really looking at the impacts on women's health, attitudes among community members and then what we can do, industry, consumers, government working together to make changes. Okay, so that's part of the Advertising Inequality Project. Lauren, how did you come on board with the work? Sure, so uh, I guess this has been a really lovely, broad collaboration with a range of partners led by Women's Health Victoria. Uh, And myself with RMIT have provided some academic insights uh, and some research capability, I guess, around the project. So that's been a really lovely collaborative process as well. So Mandy uh, and I and another colleague at Women's Health Victoria, Megan, uh, have worked, for example, together on the community attitudes research. So we were speaking to people in the community about gender portrayals in advertising, uh, what their perceptions were of those types of portrayals, what they thought the impacts of those portrayals were, and also what they thought should be done uh, about this as a very long-standing issue, uh, both uh, in the community, but also in the industry more broadly. Yeah, that, that struck me that this is 
this a, a very long-standing issue? Why, why do this project now, Mandy? We're starting to recognise the impact of broader um, gender inequality on violence against women. So that that's kind of been the trigger for the project, I guess, is looking at the links with violence against women. Um, and we've looked, you know, the, the government has funded research and activity in a whole range of settings, including in the news media, uh, in sports and in advertising. Advertising is really important because it's something that we all see. Um, we can't avoid often. So it has a really subtle and pervasive influence on all of us. Uh, and so it's a really important area to target. And this is the second year. So the first year there were two reports that came out. Do you want to tell us a little, Lauren? So Mandy might be best placed to talk about the first report, which was uh, a literature review on health impacts, uh, which she uh, had led. Yeah, so we looked at the research on health impacts um, from gender portrayals in advertising. So first of all, we looked at what's happening in advertising and whether gender, how gender is portrayed, and we found that really it hasn't changed much since the fifties, really. So you wow. know, there wasn't a significant difference. No, and so there's a lot of research now looking at changes over time, and you know, finding that in some ways advertising has got worse in some areas, particularly in the sexualization and objectification of women. So that's really increased in recent years. Gender stereotype portrayals of women and men are continuing to be shown, although there are some recent shifts and interest among advertisers in making some changes. Um, so we looked at that and then we looked at the health impacts and that was really concerning. So a lot of the research shows that particularly women are affected by this pervasive idealisation of women's bodies, the sexualization of women, uh, women's eating, mental health, relationships, body image, all of those areas are affected. Women don't participate in sport or exercise as much because they're exposed to these kind of images all of the time. There are links with participation in exercise and sport. So it has really broad-ranging impacts and particularly on attitudes towards women. So the research, really interesting um, experimental studies where they expose people to sexualised images of women and then they'll look at their attitudes or they'll give them a scenario around you know, a sexual assault and they'll ask about their attitudes and they find that when people are exposed to those sorts of images, particularly men, but also women, um, some of the studies included women, their attitudes towards women change and they tend to see women as objects they tend to reinforce. So they get primed by a yeah. sexualisation of women. That's right, right. yeah. Yeah, so they'll, you know, blame women for being raped or they'll have attitudes that promote or support sexual aggression. So there is a body, a growing body of research that looks at those links now. But on the upside, there's also research that shows that there's a business case for change and that women particularly don't want to buy products that support those kinds of betrayals. So that's the positive side and that's where advertisers are really picking up on that and we've engaged with advertisers over the last couple of years and they're really interested in looking at some change around those betrayals. So Lauren, you're a lecturer in marketing. Um, Mandy just mentioned that the portrayal of women has actually not got better, but may have got worse. What's going on there? I mean, you would just naturally think things would change over time. We've had well, there's a very we've had feminism. <laughs> Absolutely, there's a couple of things going on here. So uh, one long-standing, uh, I guess, theoretical argument around advertising is: does it mirror uh, society, or is it moulding it? Uh, and that's been a very both long- surely correct. <laughs> Uh, that's uh, where uh, most tend to rest at this point in time. Uh, but I guess that gets to the tension of the power of advertising and who's shaping whom. Now, yes, we've seen broad social change going on uh, more broadly, and you would think that that is infiltrated into the advertising industry. But if you look at the industry itself, it is a 
very sexist industry. Uh, there is a very poor representation of women in leadership positions. There are long-standing issues of sexual harassment uh, and sex-based discrimination. Anecdotally, if you speak to a woman who works in advertising, she will tell you that by the time she reaches 30 and if she's thinking of having children, then her career will no longer be in the advertising industry. Uh, there will no. not be a place for her. So particularly those who are balancing family responsibilities, both men and women, uh, would find it a challenge in this particular industry. Now, things are changing, and Mandy had signalled that before, that there is, I guess, some more promising practice that we're seeing coming through. And that was the second report uh, that we'd undertaken for this project. So we've canvassed promising practising that was looking at how we could address and prevent sexist advertising. Uh, and one uh, of the levers, we identified five different levers uh, for possible change, was around industry initiatives. And there certainly are some great initiatives going on in the industry, often led by women. Uh, so some uh, movements, for example, looking for change. So there's the 3% movement, which recognises the fact that around the world, uh, only around 3% of uh, creative directors are women. So these are the people who are signing off the decisions about the campaigns that are being created and who have the final say about the representations that we see. And more often than not, they are white, older men. So yep. this notion of uh, you can only be what you see uh, really comes to the fore when we think about these types of representations and who is having the power to say what we should be seeing out there in the advertising landscape. So this time around, you've released two papers addressing and preventing sexist advertising and analysis of local and global promising practice that you just mentioned. Lauren, and uh, Community Responses to Gender Portrayals in Advertising, which was a research paper. Do you want to tell me a little bit about the research paper, Mandy? So it was a partnership with RMIT, with Lauren. Um, so Lauren probably can speak more about the dis design of the study. But what we were trying to do was really capture how members of the community saw gender portrayals, what their sort of spontaneous reactions were to uh, some examples of um, advertising that's attracted attention or has attracted complaint and then looking at their attitudes around regulation and what they think needs to be done, what their knowledge is of the complaint system. And what were the broad findings there, Lauren? What we found that was quite interesting was that community members certainly spoke that they didn't feel that advertising had changed, that the representations that we've seen in the past we still see around us today. What people did speak about, which we found quite interesting, was that even though they were aware of this being a problem and were quite quick to recognise some of the impacts of this, they also spoke about how desensitised they were. Now, they actually identified that. Absolutely. Uh, I'm just so used to seeing these sexist images kind of thing. That, so I've, you know, it's just become part of my norm. It's the wow. world around me. So now what that signals is that people feel powerless yes. to do something in the face of it, that it's mm. so culturally pervasive that it's become the norm. And even though it's not acceptable, that people feel that it's so pervasive they can't do anything to change hard. it. Yeah. Correct, absolutely. So where we were speaking to people about the system of advertising regulation in Australia, people were very surprised to learn that it was an industry self-regulation model and that there was no uh, intervention by the government when it came to representations of advertising, which again I think speaks to the fact that people recognise how culturally powerful advertising is in society, so feel that the government should perhaps be playing a role when it comes to the types of representations that we're always 
we're seeing around us. But people did not have a lot of knowledge about the system of self-regulation, so they didn't know how to complain, even if they wanted to complain. So people recognise there's a problem, they're uncomfortable with it, but they are not doing anything because they don't know what to do. It's a really interesting situation because a lot of those sort of dots don't add up, but that's the situation that we found ourselves in. So Mm. what can we do, Mandy? Well, I mean, one of the things that we're going to be doing is releasing a toolkit for consumers to um, educate consumers about how to complain and where they can go and how the system works. Actually, the Australian Association of Advertisers, the National Association, is actually reviewing their code of ethics at the moment. So we have put in a submission around some of the changes that we want to see and RMIT uh, have also done that as well. So, you know, that's really positive that there is some movement there. What's prompted the examination of the code of ethics? I think the advertising industry uh, and advertising regulation within that has seen that there's a shift uh, going on, that the tide is turning. Uh, The World Federation of Advertisers, for example, has put out uh, a booklet and a guide around gender portrayals. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are some strong alliances with industry, uh, UN women and a range of corporate and not-for-profit partners through the Unstereotype Alliance, which are working into eradicate harmful gender-based stereotypes in advertising. So there are some strong mechanisms out there sending a signal now that gender portrayals need to be changed, they need to be improved. And we're seeing that in some of the ads that we're seeing around us now. So uh, a really good example of that in recent times is the Libra Blood Normal campaign. Ah, yes. Not blue blood. Not Not all of us are royal. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Now, there were parts of the community that were outraged about seeing uh, menstrual blood trickling down a woman's leg in an advertisement. But I think for for a lot of women, this is incredibly refreshing because we're actually seeing our bodies, our actual experiences being mirrored on the media around us. And that's really important. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855am. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. You're with Communication Mixdown and this week we're talking about portrayals of women in advertising. I spoke to Lauren Guerreri, who is Senior Lecturer in Marketing at RMIT, and Mandy McKenzie from Women's Health Victoria about a couple of reports they recently released about community responses to how gender is portrayed in advertising and promising promising practices from around the world for curbing sexism in advertising. Mandy, you think that advertisers are feeling this change and and this is leading to what you mentioned, the alliance is looking at its self-regulation. It is entirely self-regulation in Australia. It is, it is. I think a lot of change is also driven by recent changes in the UK. So they've done some similar research on gender portrayals and also found that, you know, gender was stereotyped in advertising. And so they've kind of brought in some changes. Their system's a co-regulatory system, so government has... it always been, just to interrupt? I'm not sure that it's always been. I think it has been for quite some time. Right. Um, But government has more of a role in actually ensuring that regulation's enforced, and that's been a big issue here in Australia, is that some advertisers just, even if they're found... I mean, often a lot of the complaints uh, around gender are dismissed in Australia, but even when they're upheld, often the association, the self-regulatory system, has no power to actually enforce the determination. So it's interesting in the UK they've brought in stronger 
powers and, and under a co-regulatory system, there's better enforcement, which is part of the research that Lauren did looking at promising practice. We identified that. So part of the problem here is that in Australia, if you have these serial offenders of sexist advertising, think of Ultratune, for example, uh, think of Wicked Campers, then even if people do complain and those complaints are upheld, then there's really no enforcement or sanction mechanism. Yeah, is there a sanction? I mean, can the advertising standards body do anything you were saying, Mandy? That they have no, they can just make a finding, an adverse finding, and that's. They will make an adverse finding, they will uh, threaten media attention off that, and. Uh, that the threat of that will hopefully change behaviour for advertisers. The threat of that, it certainly, I mean, it can just amplify the messaging, right? Absolutely. And Wicked Campers is a really good case of this. So Wicked Campers ignored around 79 uh, decisions. The messaging which was on some of those campers was incredibly problematic um, and certainly violent supportive uh, towards women. Now, this was an unprecedented case where legislation had to step in. So legislators had to step in. Uh, different states made uh, regulation around trying to deregister these vehicles and take them off the road. And it took a long time for different states to catch up and also put these same uh, legislation in place. But now we're in a place with wicked campers where legislation has caught up with their behaviour. But we don't have a system, like Mandy said, in the UK where this would have been much more instantaneous, where under co-regulation you have that legislative backing, but we've had to sort of retrospectively, I guess, apply this. And you can't keep going around making laws specific to different companies every time someone's... (laughs) It's interesting that the population, that people seem to think that the government does have a regulatory role and it doesn't. Surely it means the government should be stepping up to a regulatory role. Is there any... Well, look, our community uh, focus group research certainly highlighted that that was the expectation of the community. They thought that, first and foremost, the advertising industry needed to take responsibility for what it was producing, but that government also needed to play a role, particularly when things weren't working effectively. The analysis of local and global promising practice, how about some examples of that? What are the best things that are happening in the UK? Mandy Mandy mentioned that there's co-regulation between industry self-regulating with a working with a government regulator what are some other things that are working through the well Lauren uh, so the different levers for change I guess that we identified in this particular report uh, so the first was around legislative frameworks uh, now in Australia there is no legislation apart from uh, the case of wicked campus that Which I spoke about specifically before would have had to talk about the company yeah so there's nothing in relation to sexist advertising more broadly okay. so uh, but there are countries around the world that do legislate uh, in relation to sexist advertising. So that is available and there's many countries around the world uh, that show best practice in relation to that. But in Australia, that's not the case. Mm. So we need to look to the self-regulation system and what can be improved there. So Mandy highlighted before that the Code of Ethics is being reviewed and that's a really welcome change. There have been some positive changes in relation to the Code of Ethics in the last couple of years. uh, in relation to body image, uh, gender stereotyping. The problem is that it's just the nature of self-regulation that these types of codes and standards are very broad mm. uh, and it allows for a lot of grey area uh, to emerge. Or wriggle room to get out of things. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so we'll see where that goes in terms uh, of the Code of Ethics review. But 
Certainly our report suggests that a co-regulation system uh, tends to be the most effective when it comes to trying to address and prevent sexist advertising. Uh, The other areas of influence we spoke to were community resources. Uh, So these are things like social norms campaigns that we can see being changed through our community. Think of the recent Respect Victoria ads uh, that speak about sort of those everyday sexist practices um, and how they inform more broadly gender inequality. Also advertising education and literacy and whether we need to be doing this better. So, for example, in uh, Victorian schools, there is not a lot of curriculum around uh, understanding and critically evaluating advertising messaging, particularly sexist advertising messaging. Uh, Even the recent Respectful Relationships curriculum doesn't address this uh, except for a couple of individual exercises here and there. So, It's broadly a useful set of skills to have for citizens, I suppose. Absolutely. So this is an area where I think the government, uh, Department of Education, might really want to be investigating and thinking what could we be doing to better prepare children in this highly advertising-saturated environment where we know that there are problematic gender norms and messages being communicated so that they can understand, critically analyse and unpack and hopefully even just turn away from these types of messages but know how to process them effectively as well. Better regulation, more education. And the final area was around community activism. So uh, we've seen with the advent of social media that people now more than ever are able to come together very quickly to call out poor practice. Yes, sleeping giants being the absolutely the body that springs to mind. This is a really important uh, part of trying to address this problem, uh, that the community are aware and that they feel that they can speak, have their voice represented and heard, uh, and that, that will translate into change uh, in terms of the industry. At the end of the day, people can vote with their wallets uh, and that's a really important mechanism to create change uh, for the industry but even just the act of calling out ads uh, and making that visible and making that heard and getting a consensus around that uh, which might then create an advertiser to pull down an ad is really really important. So I guess it's it becomes communication that way we're talking back to the advertisers with a we think this is rubbish kind mm. of feedback. Ads are still around us in so many yeah. different forms and often very unexpected forms you know it could be just that bus that's driving past you it could be a pop-up in a shopping mall it could be an ad uh, that comes in your instagram feed so there are all these advertising intrusions through now to such a media saturated society so there are so many opportunities for these types of interruptions yes and surely a growing need like surely a need for regulation mm. because of that. Is there a difference between complaints mechanisms or standards or anything like that between television and print and internet? The same standards apply? There are some differences. The Where the real problem area is social media. This is very difficult to regulate, particularly because you're going across geographical boundaries here uh, and things can be taken down very quickly and you know algorithms are only feeding certain things to be seen by certain people. So this is going to be a really difficult area uh, to regulate from here on. And the Australian Association of National Advertisers certainly recognises this as well. In their 
their new code of ethics review, uh, they were talking about social media influences and how that can be better regulated, how we can better think about that, because that has been a really pernicious effect, particularly around body idealisation for young women. And I guess if you're taking money from someone making a product and then sort of spruiking it, that's sort of native advertising or that sort of hidden selling for someone, isn't it? Well, marketers would say that that's the best type of advertising because it's seemingly more authentic. Um, It is an influencer who's built a base around a particular lifestyle or a particular interest. So they've got this very captive audience of followers uh, who are really watching and listening to their every move. So something that they spruik, they're more likely to pay attention to than just, uh, you know, a regular sort of format of advertising. Is that something you're going to look into more, Mandy? Does this project end now or does it continue? No, the next phase of the project is really looking at a strategic framework. So working uh, with government, with industry, uh, with community and with academics, looking at a strategic framework around who can do what, you know, what's the role of industry, what's the role of government, what can consumers do, and really coming up with kind of where to from here in the advertising setting. So that's kind of our next piece of work over the next six months. And is social media going to be part of what you are going to do? Yeah, I mean, we're looking at social media as part of, social media is definitely part of the picture, but it is, um, as Lauren said, harder to address because of all of these kind of interesting new ways that marketers are using social media and the global nature of some of the advertising on social media. So yeah, it is a harder area to respond to. So how do I avoid advertising for my well-being? To not become sexist. I think it's very difficult to avoid advertising, but I think it's very important to call out when you see sexist advertising. So calling it out, whether that's on social media, just making a comment to the person uh, that you're with that's highly inappropriate, particularly if you're around younger people, um, opening a conversation and a dialogue about this advertising and how it does not reflect the society that we see around us and the problems with these types of betrayals. I think those sorts of conversations are really important to have. One of the things that was interesting in our community attitudes research was that women were much more aware of some of the impacts and some of the issues. So we had men and women sitting in focus groups and women would say, oh, I see a problem with that. I would show them examples. And men were sort of slower to catch up. And once they spoke to women, they realised the impact that women were experiencing from some of the advertising. So I think having those conversations is really important. And I think one of the findings of the UK research was that we really need to listen to the people who are portrayed in the ads. So, you know, what, what or who are not, not portrayed. A lot of communities and individuals are not represented in advertising. So we really need to talk as a community around what sort of portrayals we want to see. And I think because women experience particularly negative effects, you know, it's really important that women um, and men have conversations around the television and around the dinner table and you know we talk to our children around you know developing those critical media skills and really challenging some of the advertising that we just constantly see every day and we we feel so used to but we really need to start calling it out. So how do I complain? So if you go onto the Ad Standards website, uh, it's very easy. Uh, you can log in and you can put a complaint there. The difficulty is that you have to comply according to their codes. So you will have to follow a certain way of making your complaint. Uh, even though those perhaps obstacles are in place, uh, we would still strongly recommend that people do complain because it's really one of the only ways available to us in 
in Australia at the moment to create change in the advertising landscape. It takes one complaint uh, for the panel to convene and examine that particular advertisement. So just one complaint is important uh, and having that voice heard. That was RMIT advertising lecturer Lauren Guerreri and women, Women's Health Victoria's Mandy McKenzie talking to me about the portrayal of women in advertising and how we must speak up when we witness sexism. That's it for Communication Mixdown this week. We're back again next Monday at 6pm. I hope you can join us then. We're going out today with St Vincent's. St Vincent, rather. This is Los Ageless. <laughs> Oh,